0: You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hello, Mountain Bike Radio listeners. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Just Riding Along. This episode is brought to you by EC Pedals. You head over to RideEC.com. In case you don't know what EC is, I know you've seen it and probably thought to yourself, how do you pronounce this? It's I-S-S-I. So I-S-S-I Pedals is the name. Go to rideec.com slash radio. That'll get you information on how to get $15 off a set of pedals. So go over there, read up, print off the coupon, take it to your dealer, get yourself a set of new pedals. Thank you to them uh, for sponsoring the episode. If you appreciate that they're kicking this in, allowing the show to happen, keep happening, and from now and into the future, (laughs) I'd appreciate it if you let them know that you heard it on Mountain Bike Radio. Send them an uh, email, info at rideec.com. Check them out over on Instagram. You can go to instagram.com slash rideec. All right, folks. Here it is. New episode of Just Riding Along, and if you have any questions, comments about Mountain Bike Radio in general, feel free to send them to me at ben at mountainbikeradio.com. Now, here it is. Enjoy.
1: Hi, and welcome to another episode of Just Running Along, brought to you by interrupting single speeds and terrible beer and single speeds again. Single speeds? Single speeds.
2: Single speeds. Why
3: single speeds? I don't know. Uh, just
1: because I've been riding mine, Like I, I finally like got it out and dusted it off and just to get ready for like the winter park and the, the Yeti Betty bike bash, uh, races. And, uh,
3: but it's a hardtail, right? Yeah. You,
1: it's, I've been, I've been like, so I've always had this, this amazing, uh, ability to, if I watch something enough, like I start to kind of learn it, quit giving your microphone a blow job. <laughs> Matt's like licking his microphone over there. Um, so if I watch something a lot, I can start to imitate it. I learned how to ride horses the same way. Like I watch my. Should ride- you
2: should you watch a whole bunch of people go through left hand switchbacks?
1: I should. I definitely should do that. I should watch left hand switchbacks repeatedly. Anyway, Does this
3: apply to adult videos as well?
1: I haven't watched those enough. <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> um, Grapefruit. Oh God. We need to put a sound bite from the grapefruit video on here. <laughs> 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 that should be like the outro music.
3: <laughs> I, I'm actually not familiar with what that is. Oh, God. I, I, don't, I don't even want to know. Let's, we'll we'll know. tell you off the air. Just go on.
1: Um, so if I watch something, I can start to imitate it. And I've always been able to learn stuff that way. And so I watched like some of the UCI cross country videos and like, I have those videos playing in my head whenever I'm like high post hard tailing down some technical shit.
2: Like when Yolanda Nev goes OTV.
1: Luckily I only saw that once in slow motion. So I I blocked that out of my memory. But before that, when she was like high post hard tailing and like really kicking some ass. um, Yeah. Every time
3: I see the UCI world cup stuff and they're, bomb an ass down some rock garden on hardtails, the first thing I think of is, ah, that doesn't look very fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I just, that's how I feel, like, whenever I'm, I'm, you know, like, going downhill really fast on a hardtail, um, you know, like, with your seat bumping you in the heart rate strap and stuff. Um, but, yeah, like, I rode my single speed on uh, this loop called Super Walker, it's actually like a, a lollipop. So basically you ride this climb from the bike shop in Boulder. Um, flagstaff is like a, just like, it's like the climb out of Boulder and it's a, uh, you basically from the shop to the top of the flagstaff is about six miles and you climb 2200 feet in six miles and it gets ridiculously steep at the top. And, uh, And then you descend 500 feet. This is on the road at first. Like, you descend 500 feet after that down to this trail called Walker Ranch, which is an eight-mile loop. It has a couple of descents, but it feels like you climb the whole time. Like, the descents are so short and the climbs are so hard that you just feel like you're always climbing. And uh, so you do the, the Super Walker lollipop is Climb Flagstaff, descend down to Walker Ranch, do the loop of Walker Ranch, and then you have to climb back up that last fi- that. Like,
3: I assume this is all mountain biking, right?
1: Yeah, you use a mountain bike because Walker Ranch is like it's definitely a mountain. It's a good mountain bike trail. Like you, you couldn't ride it on a cross bike without dying a few times um, or breaking something. But, yeah, and then you, you basically, like, you have to climb back up to the top of Flagstaff and then, then descend down back, back to the shop, and it's, it's hard. Like, it takes about three hours, and it's, it's, a, it's a little bit soul-crushing because the whole time you're doing the really hard, like, single-track loop at Walker, you're thinking about, like, those extra 500 feet of road-climbing miles that you have to do to get back up to the top of Flagstaff before you get to go downhill, so it's, uh, it's really good, and I did it on my single speed on Saturday and, like, crushed it. Awesome. Yeah, so I feel like, I feel super ready for, like, the, the cross-country racing I'm about to do.
3: Do you still have that Cisco?
1: Yeah. Yep. I, I really um, I kind of want to get a Pro Caliber and put a chain tensioner on it and make that a single speed.
3: What's the Pro Caliber?
1: It's the Trek bike with the uh, iso-speed decoupler. Is
3: that like a it's a, it's a hardtail yeah, mountain bike a, but with a the little clean?
1: Yeah, a carbon
3: hardtail. Okay. Yeah. But I assume cool. it has no provisions
2: for sliding.
1: Or anything? Yeah, no, it doesn't. It kind of that that sucks. But I I would probably do like a derailleur as a single speed tensioner.
2: Well, what I find to be a real bummer is that when Trek made the new Stash, they put the Stranglehold dropout, which is their twelve by one forty two or one forty eight. I mean, um, adjustable rear dropout in the bike, and then when they made the the new fat bike, they put that in there as well. Um, and they overlooked a great opportunity to just plug a different dropout into that bike in order to make it single-speed compatible, which would be a, a huge, I don't know if improvement is the right way to, to put it, but like it's just a missed opportunity to like make more money. Um, I think, unfortunately, single-speeding is just not as cool
3: as it used to be. That's the vibe that I get. Um, I don't know if that's exactly true, but I think single speed hit its heyday in like 2000 between 2010 and 12, I feel, but maybe I'm wrong.
2: And I, I agree with you there, but I guess what I'm saying is they're putting it on their other premium bikes. And I don't know why they didn't add it into this one. I mean, it's just, yeah, they should. It's have, just, I mean, it's heavier
1: and the pro caliber made to be like a lightweight cross country bike. And it's got that decoupler in it, which already makes it a little heavier. So you know, they I would think, basically be making a heavy carbon hardtail frame.
3: So can you guys think of any big name, fairly light, let's say carbon, single speed capable hardtail 29er? Niner. Does Specialized even make theirs anymore?
2: No, they stopped. The, and the, okay. that the was Niner, also niner
1: the, is pretty much your go-through. Niner's it,
2: right? Well, your demise of the Specialized Stump Jumper was they made a Stump Jumper single speed. They made, and it was sliding dropouts, but they, and it was like a really complicated sliding dropout, and they made no fucking dropout option with a hanger on it. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so, okay, a huge fail on their part. Like it would have been so, such a bigger market if people could have been like single speed curious, you know?
3: I'm hoping. But I, just, that- I just can't think of any big,
2: nice company like Santa Cruz, for
3: example. It bothers me because the aluminum highball. Has is single speed capable and actually works very well and I'm very happy with it. Yeah. But then their carbon one, they just
2: don't do it. Yeah. That's just very weird to me. Well, and it's almost like, how do I put this? Like if you look at the aluminum bike, they took a heavy bike and made it heavier. But then with the highball, they made a bike that's not even made to be really light and just didn't add a tiny bit of weight to it to make it more versatile, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah I, just, I mean, I, kudos I, I really to Niner wish, for still really making it. Yeah. I, I So anyway, that's
3: that's a big um so yeah, we got two holes in the market. One is a a one hundred to one twenty mil large sanctioned fork. And I mean like native, so as in lighter than the current pike and fox thirty four, and I've talked about that a million times, but I really want to see that. So think race pike
2: or race fox thirty four. Uh like so a I want to see fox that. Fox thirty four SL or a Pike exactly. uh a Pike S L. Because oh my
3: god, I love that Fox thirty four. It's so good. But if it was a hundred grams lighter in a hundred and twenty mil configuration, which is what a whole hell of a lot of bikes use, oh my god, it would be so good. Please build that fork. So we need that, and we need <laughs> some. We need some big brand. Oh, uh, we need some big brand carbon single speed
2: capable frames. Oh, let me interject here. Just- yeah. So let me let me pitch this to you like a Yeti ASR, which is their full suspension. 100 millimeter rear 120 front capable like a pike sl or a pike world cup carbon steer tube carbon crown yeah 120 mil max lowers with 120 mil max like stanchion tubes so it's like lighter all black and it's just like carbon sexiness that would be that would be good. That'd RCT3. It would be amazing. It would be so amazing. It's, Please it's, build that fork. Fuck. It would be so good. <laughs> I will bet you
3: that that thing would be uh, 200 grams lighter easily than the current Pike, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, that would be really rad. Um, and what a, I was going to say about carbon hardtails, though, is I bet since 27.5 plus is becoming so popular, I bet. Bet that car that Trek's gonna do a carbon stash and that's gonna be here's a carbon bike with the stranglehold, you know, movable dropout.
2: The only problem with the stash is when you put twenty-nine inch wheels on it, the bottom bracket's gonna be too low.
1: Yeah, and I I agree. Like I don't think that's the answer, but I think that's gonna be like Trek's answer to, well, here's your carbon hardtail.
3: Why would the bottom bracket be too low? Well,
2: the stash is twenty nine plus.
3: Oh, I'm sorry. I was thinking a 27 and a half
2: plus native. I'm like, it's going to get higher, not lower. No, Andrea misspoke. Sorry. Uh Oh, okay. So the stash is 29 plus. So my saving grace is, and I'll let the cat out of the bag because it's probably going to ship this week. MRP is going to send me a fork to try on my stash. So I, I ran the numbers on it. And the bottom bracket, when I go from my rigid fork to a suspension fork, the bottom bracket gets higher. So then if I go to 29 inch wheels, the bottom bracket goes back to just about where it was. So cool. I can yeah. run the stash with traditional size tires. If I want to, um, I just kind of have to run suspension with the little tires. And then with big tires, I can go either way. Cause even though the MRP fork doesn't quite have the clearance needed for like CSPC, um, what do you call it? Like, blessing for 29 plus capable, it definitely clears way better than like a Fox 34 does. Cool. Or as good, if not better than a Fox 34. Sorry,
1: the the pivot less, that's a carbon hardtail that will do single speed very well.
2: Oh, okay. Yeah. The graphics are so bad. I know
1: the pivot graphics are not good, but they, they make some good bikes outside of like the bikes are as good as the graphics are bad. So, yeah, I, I can't believe I forgot about that one because that's one I've been drooling over for a while. But they're
2: just... Oh god, did I actually push record? Yes, yeah, I just got like paranoid. <laughs> I got the drunk paranoids. Um, um, should we?
1: We, did, we had some donations, didn't we?
2: We did. So let's dive into this. Um, I want to break the. I guess it's both good and bad news at the same time. Before we even go into donations. Um, If you have any questions for the show, those need to go to um, jra at com. Again, that is jra at mountainbikeradio.com. Uh, that's the fortunate news. The unfortunate news is we're growing to a point where our questions are growing. And up to this point, we've answered damn near every question ever sent into the show. So in the last three and a half years or... I guess, yeah, three and a half years, is that right? Something like that. Um, we've answered, again, damn near every question sent in. And we're we're getting to the point where that's becoming to be...
1: Impossible?
2: Where um. it may compromise the quality of the show, is what I would like to say. It's not that it's impossible. We could go through and give a four-word answer for every question, Um But I don't think that's what we want to do, and I don't think that's what the people out there want to do. So just know if you send in a question and you don't see or hear an answer, um, for the time being, I'm going to do my best to send you a written reply that I did receive it. And, of course, I'm going to read every question that you sent in. Um, So that's kind of the start of it. Um, But, again, we're getting to the point where we may not be able to answer every question every time on air. So, if it's really good or unique, or you send like a really good story with it,
1: or a donation,
2: no, no, <laughs> just a, a really good story, you're definitely making the air. Um, but just know that we we are continuing to grow, which is a really good thing, and we're really glad that more people are listening and that our re, our like listenership, not readership, but listenership, is growing. Um, but it's it's going to it is growing to the point where we're not able to answer each question on air and keep the quality and like that same feel of the show like i don't think we want a show where we just talk for 75 minutes answering questions and not talking about what we do and and what we've seen and what we hate and what we definitely want to blow up with like fucking tnt and a lot of gas you know so um again if you have a question send it to jra at mountbikeradio.com but send in a question that's that's, that's good. Give me some story. Give me something that I can relate to, and we'll definitely do what we can to talk about you on the air. But but don't be offended if we can't get to every question every time moving forward, because it's we've we've gotten just more questions, which is good. But we are growing, so yeah. It's kind of even sad to say that. Like I feel like I I'm like I don't hurting. feel
1: like it's sad. I feel like occasionally you know someone new comes along, and we love new listeners, and we actually. I saw in a few emails, people are like, I just started listening to your show and now I have listened to like every episode ever or I'm trying to listen to every episode and I got fired from my job because all I do is listen to JRA all day, every day. Could you um,
3: imagine binge watching this show? That would be terrible.
1: <laughs> I think it would be wonderful. but uh, And we really like those people, but if you are one of those people and you ask a question that we just talked about last week, we just we may not talk about that again on air.
2: Bye, Felicia.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry. But and Matt might even reply to the email and be like, "Hey, we just we just answered this last week." Let's, you know, I'm sure you'll hear it soon, but it's on that last show that, you know, we did last yeah, the one that just got put up last week. So, you know, that's that's what we're saying. We just may not be able to get to everybody even though we love you all.
2: And that's that's the other thing, too. If you send in a question that's super simple, we might just cover it because you know, just get it done because there's other people out there that might need to know the same thing. Or I am a big sucker. I might, you know, I'll reply and say, Hey, here's the deal. Do this. Um, and also, um, you know, we all have, I mean, Ben, Mount Mike radio is his real job, but, um, and this is another thing. We'll talk about this in just a second, but, um, Outside of that, every one of us has real jobs and lives and training and riding and racing and stuff that we do. So I, I binge answer. Um, I go through and, you know, like on Monday or Tuesday mornings, I answer every email and then I just try not to look at it. Like I get pop ups on my phone at work and I'm like, Oh, well, you know, like I can't do this now. So, um, if it goes a few days and you don't hear from me, just know that like, and it's not that I don't respect you and appreciate you sending me a question and valuing our opinions, but we just can't answer everything in the moment, as you may be accustomed to in this digital age. So and, and I want to segue into something else that I thought about today, which is up to this point, and it's you know, it's June sixth of twenty six, 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 sixteen, Sick. Okay. Yeah. Day of the devil. What up? Um Up to this point and for the foreseeable future, every second of all content on Mountain Bike Radio, Ben has listened to. Wow. And he has edited and published. No one else has ever published something on Mountain Bike Radio that Ben did not listen to. So you think you listen to a lot of podcasts, just know that that week I spent with Ben or that 100 hours I spent with Ben – Which, if you haven't heard that, you can go back and listen. I recorded a special thing, a hundred hours with Ben. Um, it's, he listens to other shit outside of listening to Mountain Bike Radio. He listens to sports talk and he listens to like a couple of podcasts and like he just is a wealth of information of stuff outside of everything that pumps through Mountain Bike Radio. So big kudos to Ben for, for that. Um, but. So now that we're deep into our time and we have a bunch of shit to we cover. We have like
1: a hundred questions. Carrie I Lowry
2: mean, from Tennessee, she sent over $25.
1: U.S. And marathon single speed champion,
3: Carrie Lowry. Rar. I didn't know that she single speeded. Yeah. I had no idea. She, she is, is like a hundred
1: pounds of single speeding fury. Carrie Lowry is.
3: So do you know if she's going to race or maybe she can send in the answer to this question. Is she going to race uh marathon nationals next year?
1: Probably. Uh, the I mean, one at she... iron
3: mountain. was, well, she going to race at single speed.
1: Probably she, she's been doing, or is she going to race at... it
3: both?
2: God. She's been doing
1: single speed. I don't know. Marathon nationals. They usually do like a, uh, like wave start where it's not possible to race both.
2: So just a quick thing for Carrie, um, Big kudos to you number 1, number 2. That's the last day you get to wear your like national champion jersey and it's like fairly close to your house. You better believe she's going to show up.
1: I mean, she shows up to all the ones in like Colorado or in Sun Valley, she was there.
2: That was me like stretching my jersey on. I thought and in the
1: in like the next year's championship race you don't get to wear your you don't wear your stars and stripes.
2: I'd love to see someone tell her no. That's true. All right, and Stars and Stripes, we're going to come back to that, too. God, this is such a good show. Okay. This is so good. Um, Joshua Andrew from Missouri gave $10. Joe Reinhardt from North Carolina sent in 25 And Russell Moore from Tennessee also sent in $25. So to you, gal, and guys, uh, thank you. Yeah. So speaking of Stars and Stripes, I did something this weekend that I didn't – I never really thought I would do, um, but – Superfan Jake and I we went to Eagle and we raced the Firebird uh Firebird race which was the Colorado State Championship cyclic or cross country race along with being just a race in general um so we showed up and being the the tough men that we are we wanted to race the long category so we raced cat one men 19 to 29, which according to my USAC license, I have to race. Um, and Jake as well. But, uh, there was starting, there was like a mile and a half or so neutral rollout. That was honestly very neutral ish. That's a first, not, not really, In honestly, the history not of really.
1: neutral rollouts. They very rarely are neutral.
2: It was one of the most neutral, but it still wasn't very neutral. Um, but we went to our start corral, and it was open men, and then CAT won under 30, pretty much. So all men and women under 30, or pro open men or women. So we got to share the start corral with Howard Grotz, the marathon U23 national champion. Um,
1: <laughs> he finished like an hour ahead of you.
2: Oh, no. An hour and 12 minutes ahead of me. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. <laughs> On a
1: forty mile course.
2: No, thirty-four miles. Oh, okay. It's called the oh Firebird forty, but it's thirty four miles. Um and yeah. his his finish time was two forty two. Oh God. And mine was uh three fifty four.
1: Oh God.
2: And Howard
1: Gots is pretty fast. To
2: put that into perspective a little bit better, um it was thirty four miles with fifty seven hundred feet of climbing.
1: That's pretty rad. Oh, yeah, that super walker loop I was talking about is right at, like it's a hair under 30 miles, and it's a hair under 5,000 feet of climbing.
2: Yeah, so this was uh, this was super serious, um, and I feel like I did really well. My first two and a half hours of racing, I paced myself a little too fast, surprise, surprise for me, but what's really good is my first hour and my second hour weren't that much different. It's just by two and a half hours, that had been a little too much. And I had to go about an hour and a half more, and then I had some bike problems. Um,
1: See, and that's like that kind of pace is enough that you can grow into that kind of pace. Exactly.
2: Um, like and if your
1: first hour was that, and then your second and third hours were just like half of that, then it's like you you got to rethink this.
2: Well, so what, what your was bike really good is, is I was Did
3: thinking. you bring your full suspension?
2: Uh, that's the only mountain bike that I'm going to race this year. Um, pretty much is the So what was, what was the problem too many lockouts? Uh, <laughs> no the the problem was is I bent my cassette. Oh. <laughs> so I had a little mishap and um No, I was I was full raging along. Um was there I, a little
3: rise in the trail and you shifted 7 gears.
2: Uh Uh, it was okay. So you're going along and you make a left hand turn into a notch. Like, so you're going to go up a notch in the hill. So it's sort of like, uh, you make a left and the, when you go left, the outside or right side of this notch is going to be the single track. And the left side is a gully. Okay. And when I did that, it was a blind corner because the notch ended. So like abruptly, um, and when I, I knew I needed to shift, and I started shifting, and then my front tire hit a really big bump, and it tried to bounce me into the gully, so I put my right foot down, and at this same point, my thumb pushed a little more on the shifter, and my body weight and my left foot pushed down on the pedal. Um, and then after that, my bike didn't work properly, um, so... <laughs> What's your drivetrain on that? Uh, it's full XO1. XO1, okay. Yeah, so um, it's technically a cassette that's not for for resale. It's a it's an XG eleven seventy five. Um, and I called SRAM today and explained to them what happened, and they said that shouldn't happen, um, and they are. Is it all pinned together? Nope. It's not pinned. It's just, I don't know. I honestly have no idea what the variance is between the two, but it's, it's not pinned. And um, I don't know if the 1175 is a true difference or if it's maybe like, if you can imagine 1180 rejects go on floor bikes, like it could be that simple. I don't know. Because I did a ton of homework and I can't find a real difference online even about like what's different between them. Um,
1: I, you know what, I bet this is a good question. I can email, uh, Ed from SRAM and he can tell us like every single freaking detail about it.
2: Yeah. But if you can imagine like a cassette, maybe they're the ones that were bent. <laughs> well, you know, part of it is like, I would say like, if you can imagine like the finish is 99%. If you had that in a package and, like, a customer looked at it, they may be like, oh, this doesn't look perfect, you know. But, like, if it's already on a bike and, like, the mechanic that assembles that bike test rides it, it then passes as new new installed. Does that make sense? So Maybe, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wager a guess here.
3: They're probably made out of all of their warranty cassettes that have been melted down. <sighs> They, you think about how many cassettes they could make. It's just oh
2: the tears God. of other would be failed products. Of cassettes. Um, but no, I had that little issue, and then I had like a dark spot in the race, and then I kind of, kind of came back and was able to like go deep ish feeling for the for the end, and um, you know, it was it was a really good feeling. So even though, so how
3: much did Jake beat you by?
2: Um, Jake had a really bad day. So did you beat Jake? Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> um, You're not
1: supposed oh, no. to beat the fans. Oh no. So, not, especially not the super fans.
2: So pretty much the way that my day went is I felt a lot like my, my really good cinema race that I've had or really good cinema races I've had in the past. Matt, did you crash Jake out? I did not. Okay. <laughs> I,
1: when has Matt ever crashed anyone else during, out during a silimo race?
2: So I I literally never – how do I put this? Like like I said, it, it felt like a – or was saying it felt like a really good silimo race that I've had in the past where all day, full day, I saw 15 people. And I just happened to kind of yo- – you know, over a four-hour period, yo-yoing around the same 10 or 15 people, it's not really a big deal. You know, like – there was this chick from sea level that was dying, and I passed her up the first hike of bike. Like she was doing like the gasping thing, and I was like, You need to yoga breathe. You need to slow down your yoga breathing. Yoga breathe. Just chill out a little bit. <laughs> and then like later I was falling. <laughs> Quick,
3: up. hold your breath.
2: No, no. Like you breathe in on count, out on count. You don't just like yeah. beep, beep, beep. She was, she was like breathing like beaker from
1: that's, that's kundalini yoga is the one where you do some crazy stuff with your breath that makes you feel kind of high.
2: Uh, but you know, and later I was falling apart and she passed me and I didn't see her again. You know, like it wasn't like I went out really hard and then imploded and 30 people passed me or I had a flat and then had to pass 50 people. You know, it was, it was like Becky from the naked juice team and I went back and forth all day, you know, um, like all day, like I passed. I like her, how she passed me. It's in
1: Colorado, so they're the naked juice team. But in Atoka speak, it's the naked juice team. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh,
1: <laughs> you know, Steve the other day called me out on uh, Steve's my shop owner. He called me out on when I said something. I said grease or grease, grease. Apparently, how I say grease is like real southern, and he's like. He kind of said it after I said Grease, he's like Grease. Well, like, I was like, Well how do you say it? And he's like Grease. <laughs> I'm like, that's what I said and he's like, no, it's different.
2: <laughs> well, I think that if you're more southern it if you're if you're not southern, it's naked. Naked. But if you're because southern it's, an A. it's nay- kid. naked.
1: Naked. with an
2: e oh like Like
1: n-e-k-k-k-i-d
2: yeah and if you're southern greased is g-r-e-e-z-e-d like sneezed greased (laughs) instead of greased um yeah i think that
1: was it i think it was a z instead of an s
2: uh it was really good it was the first time i raced that bike and let me tell you like everyone can say oh my new bike is awesome yada yada but remember it might not be like retail dollars but i spent my money on this bike and this bike is a fucking awesome piece of technology. That's the only way to put it. Um, You know, the Superfly had a really long running course and it ran from like 2010 through 2015. In 2010, it was a really good bike. And here it is, 2016, and I have a brand new product that just came to market. And lo and behold, it's fucking good. Like, there's no other way to put it. Um, Outside of bending the cassette, which is a like I told the guy at Shram. I'm not mad at you. This part is made of metal. It failed. Like that's the kind of thing that happens, you know? Um, and it was the tooth right after the shift ramp. Like, so there was two shift teeth and then like the first full tooth and the first full tooth bent over a little bit. And when the 24 tooth cog bent over, I couldn't use the 24 or the cog right below it. So, I mean, there was that, which kind of sucked, but it wasn't the end of the world. I just raced the rest of my race above or below those two cogs which was fine like as soon as i got it figured out that that's what it was that my shifting was fine that i didn't have a bigger problem that was going to cause me like i don't know my derailleur shifting into my spokes and breaking off i was content racing around those gears because i was then in control i knew what was going on i knew what the problem was and i had a solution that solution just happened to be Less than optimal, which was not riding in those two gears. Um, have I ever seen a, a, a Shimano cassette fold over? No. I but, have, but
1: I, I had one that, that like I, I have a picture of it actually on my Instagram. Like the guy has no idea how he did it, but it was like a Dior level, uh, 10 speed cassette and like one cog just folded into the cog next to it. Like the higher up one though, or the, I guess the, the larger cog next to it, the lower
2: gear. Right. I mean, it's just it's just metal parts fail. So and it was like
1: the same rate, like the same areas where yours did too. So that's it's kind of interesting. Like I guess it's a common part of the cassette to be in, but yeah, I've, I've definitely seen that recently in a Shimano cassette.
2: But all day I used my lockout on and off, on and off, all day. Um, I hiked a bike past some people, which was a great feeling. I've never really done that before. Um, yeah, it was a good day. So I got to hang out with Jeff from Ergon, which was fun. Uh, he did really well considering, I mean, in his words, considering who showed up, he was really pleased with his result of like 10th or 11th Karen Jarko. She got a uh, second, second yeah. overall, which is second overall female, which is really, really good. She's really happy with that result. Uh, she had the opportunity. She told me she had a junior kid asked to pass her and she was like, no, just okay. no. He's like, can I get around? She was like, no. And then she's like, so I just pinned it through this single track gut gully thing for a while. And then I was like, do you still need to get around? And he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really good. I'm glad that glad that she did well. She had a, a rough go last weekend at Gunnison, and she's been training really hard. So uh, for those of you that don't follow along on Twitter, I try to do watts per kilogram equivalent. Uh, one minute intervals that Karen does the other day, and uh, I totally blew the fuck up. So, Sh- huge shout out to her. She works really hard, and her result was well earned. So, yeah. Uh, but oh. I beat. I I met. Ex- I met my goal of of uh, finishing sub four hours, which was really cool. And you know, to maybe equate this out to people a little bit differently, I ended up climbing around fourteen hundred feet an hour to do that, which is. Kind of a lot of climbing.
1: That's all right.
2: So, um, Jake and I had a discussion after the race that any time you're doing more than a thousand feet of climbing an hour, you're kind of getting after it. And you know, it's he still finished well inside that, but he just didn't have the day that he wanted. His his body and his mind didn't exactly uh, uh, get along. So, I'm we really excited.
1: any of our questions yet?
2: I'm, I was going to say I'm really excited. Um, it's a really good. Really good feeling to to We race should start well. the,
1: uh, the the question okay, tonight. Fine,
2: I got
3: about thirty minutes of stuff to talk
2: about. Really? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we have a bunch of easy questions. Do you? Man, wanna...
1: I, I see this headline on Facebook right now that he... says "Sea Lice Confirmed at Florida Panhandle Beaches."
2: So Hashtag What the Florida. fuck
1: is sea lice? Something that grows in Florida. Okay. Sea lice. <laughs> yes.
3: Does it only live if you're underwater?
1: Um, It probably only happens in Florida. I think what it is, is like the crabs wash off of people and then they they eat some of the bath salts and they turn into sea lice.
2: (laughs) Underneath the sea (laughs) lice. It's
1: like like the porn version of the Little Mermaid.
2: I was going to say it's like the crazy sea lice version of Sea Lab.
1: Yeah, that's true. But I think more people know what the Little Mermaid is.
2: But Sea Lab 2021 gives them something to Google. That's true. So.
1: Sea Lice could be Googled also.
2: Oh, God. <laughs> uh, so what I did at night is I categorized, loosely categorized our uh, questions into a couple of categories. And the first one I want to talk about is a question from John from Georgia. And it's the, the category is loosely racing. Um, this is also kind of bikes. but uh, Howdy, I noticed the winner of Dirty Kanza rode a 650B bike. Thoughts? I'd like to see more gravel frames produced that are designed for 650B wheels. Think that'll happen. Thanks, John from Georgia. Um,
1: I think the winner of Dirty Kanza would be the winner of Dirty Kanza on any well, not... All the way, mountain bike
2: bike. That's exactly on. my thought. Well, it doesn't matter. Let's back up and cover this for everyone that doesn't know. The person that won Dirty conza this year is Ted King, who is a professional road racer for the Garmin. No, Cannondale. Cannondale. Uh, is it Cannondale? Who else? No, I it's I just don't Cannondale. know. It's Cannondale.
1: Like he's sponsored by Cannondale, so they told him what bike to ride, or they gave him a bike to ride.
2: No, I want to. I const- assume he was on a slate. Yep. But I want to contrast this against the person that won Dirty Kanza last year. So, Ted King won Dirty Kanza. A professional road racer won it on a 105-mile flyer. Like, at 95 miles, he said, deuces, I'm out, and went by himself. And last year, Dirty Kanza was won by the marketing manager of Goo in a sprint. Yeah. And nothing against Yuri, That's just a little bit different caliber of like how the race went down.
1: Yeah, I I mean, mean, it always depends kind of on who shows up.
2: No, I guess what I mean is last year, the race was won in a sprint on a cross bike.
1: Yeah, and there was a lot. There's like last year was like attrition, like mud and things breaking.
2: But this year, a pro road racer dude shows up and goes solo 105 miles from the finish and wins. Like. I don't think that the 650B bike had as much to do with that as the pro road racer. I, my real job is racing, riding and recovering, right? You know, that's what I was trying to point out. Like,
3: And we've covered this a bunch before, but I think in races like that, where you really can use a lot of different bikes, I think people overthink it and
1: yeah, definitely.
3: they get in their mind that, Oh, well, you have to ride this kind of bike. No, you really can kind of again, gravel? Shit, you can ride just about damn near anything and it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. There are certain exceptions, you know, like a downhill race or an enduro race or even a cross country mountain bike race depending on the terrain. Really there's very certain bikes that do well there.
1: There's like uh, a continuum.
3: But yeah, I mean, you're talk we're talking about right now in my opinion the most open Category of racing that there possibly is, which is gravel racing. You can ride damn near anything, and it's going to be fast. So, that's my input. I mean, I'm a Cannondale dealer, and the slate's neat, and I'm glad that the slate did well. But I would not overthink it.
1: Yeah, I mean, he could have been on. He could have been on like an Evo Cyclocross, Or whatever, like the yeah, like the Supercross. If that guy
3: was on a Supercross, he would have won. won.
1: He could have been on um, did they do the the if he
3: um, was on a if he was on a geared
2: front suspended mountain bike, he yeah. would have won. So if he had ridden like a flash with two by for argument's sake, just so he could or with a flash with like a thirty eight big ring. And
1: maybe like some yeah, you know, like some like two tires.
2: Yes, he would have won.
1: Yeah. So
3: it's So that that's my opinion of that.
1: Like every bike race there's a continuum, like between this bike and this bike, and it's it's not even a hard cutoff, but like any if someone is like Ted King, they can ride like anything from this bike to this bike and they're still gonna have the same result.
2: Like Ted King would have done top five on a scalpel.
1: Yeah. Just think
3: about that guy. He's a pro road racer, how much time has he really spent doing gravel grinding stuff? They probably just threw a bike at him and said, "Hey, ride this bike; it'll be good for the event." And he just threw down on it. You
2: know, you know I so. would I would venture to say maybe not because there's a, a really big gravel mountain bike climb around here that is um, pretty big, um, and a bunch of the road dudes around here are are like top ten Strava on it.
1: Which which one?
2: Uh, Rollins Pass.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, and that's full blown mountain or yeah you can't
1: ride a road bike up no paths. you
2: not at all i mean you
1: could but it would be it would not be faster on a road bike going up no the
2: so i guess what i mean is like these dudes are like you you can don't get me wrong don't send me a link to someone like that that chronicles how they only ride their time trial bike for iron man prep but like these really, really, really high-level pro athletes, like, because this is their job, at some point they get bored and they go ride mountain bikes on dirt roads or they ride cross bikes on dirt roads. Like, they don't ride their fucking race bike all day, every day. Yeah. So, I would disagree with Kenny a little bit. Like, they probably didn't... They probably did tell him to race, you know, or highly encourage him to race such an... Like, the slate.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're going to sell some slates because he won.
2: But at the same time, like, it's... Probably not the first time he's ridden that bike. It just might not have if you asked him if you had five thousand dollars to buy a bike to race dirty conza on, would you buy a slate? He might not answer yes. That's the that's the takeaway. So uh and then the other thing is there's a ton of this stuff called randoneering. And if you want a bike that holds six fifty wheels, randoneering is where it's at. Um six fifty B, I think, is junk, so I wouldn't expect to see a bunch of those bikes made. That's all there is to
0: it.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you try out a slate and it just like really tickles your fancy and you feel like you're faster on that than everything else, then yeah, that's that that bike is going to be your Dirty Kanza bike. But if you try it out and you're like, yeah, this is cool, but like anything else in the same – made for the intended for the same use um, is also cool, and I don't think there's a big benefit to this like that's you know uh, that's that's good too like so for some people it's going to be their jam and other people it's not
2: yep my last my last thing on that would be if you have a bike that holds six fifty wheels when you put a a small tire on it, it gets really dinky. Um, with 700C, you can run 28s through 38s, and it's still a pretty viable tire size. So that would be the other thing is you can't put quote-unquote fast tires like road tires on a 650B bike, and it still feel good. It's going to start to feel a little bit small-wheeled. So that's my take. Uh, next question. This is, this is under my loose heading of suspension. Mike from the Internet. Out of curiosity, why the lefty bashing? Thanks, Mike.
1: (laughs) That that goes back to, that can also be related to the first question about the slate. Hold on, hold on. Maybe the lefty isn't the greatest thing out there. It's proprietary.
2: I'm going to give Kenny 60 seconds on the stopwatch. I want to hear all the things you have bad to say about a lefty in 60 seconds. You want to do that, Kenny? Sure. Ready, set, go. So let me
3: preface this by saying I am a Cannondale dealer, and they do function as suspension forks. The problem is they're proprietary. Uh, not many shops actually tear into the guts of those things, so you got to take them off and send them to Cannondale. They do have a really good deal where you can do if you do yearly service, it's a like almost nominal fee. It's so tiny, it's like sixty bucks or something like that. So with all that said, there are pluses, but the problem is there's no plus that I've ever found over a traditional fork. There's just not. I mean, it's as simple as that. Uh, they look cool. And yeah, you can change a flat, like you can put a tube in with the uh, wheel on the bike. I suppose that's the only positive I could ever see. But it's so that's so niche and tiny that I would never do it. From an actual suspension action standpoint, it, it just doesn't feel as good to me as Seven, these modern forks. Five,
2: four, <laughs> three, two, one.
3: That that was our Kenny rant. So, no, so, I mean I don't like I don't passionately hate them or anything like that. Uh, it's just that they're they're just way back when when every fork was a noodle and they were just horrible and flexy and everything else. The lefty was actually fairly decent, but I do task anybody go even a a thirty two mil stanchion fork, so like a Sid something that's pretty damn racy and pretty light take a sid and everything else being the same or at least similar so similar stem similar bar similar wheel and bear down on the front of the bike just put weight on it and then uh lift alternating ends of the bar up and down like push one while you pull the other push one while you pull the other and basically try almost think that you're trying to bend the bar but really you're seeing how much that fork flexes side to side and you will watch the front tire on a lefty do all kinds of fucked up shit. Like, it it wiggles and moves, and oh my god. And when I ride it, that's the exact same sensation that I get when I ride those forks. So, um, yeah, you know, I just, I just don't think they're any better than a traditional fork. I think that if one is in good condition and maintained, and it's one of the more modern ones... I think they're adequate. It is suspension. It does have adjustability and lockouts <laughs> and all that stuff, but it's just, it is just absolutely in no way better than a SID or a Reba or a Fox 34 or a Pike or any of those forks. It's just not. So that's, that's all I got.
2: Boom. All right. Ben from Montana, I just found your show about a month ago and have been listening nonstop at work to catch up on all the old episodes. I gotta love the no bullshit rants and raves. Thanks for all the great info. I purchased a 2012 Giant Rain 2 at the beginning of last season. Considering my last mountain bike was from a department store when I was 12, but I got to ride that shit around in the store, so that was dope. I would consider this to be my first actual mountain bike, and I freaking love it, even if it's supposedly old and under-equipped. The bike is stock except for some SRAM DB5 brakes that the previous owner installed before selling it. I have to admit, I fell into the it's got Fox bro when drooling over this bike. I have come to realize that the pro pedal switch on the rear shock Fox RP2 boost is all but useless. I'm currently in the market for a rear shock that can be fully locked out and I'm wondering what you guys think. I hear a ton on forks from you guys, but not so much on rear shocks. I'm 5'11", 185 pounds on a good day (laughs) before gear and come from the trail moto world where the answer to everything is to wheelie it. Rock Garden, wheelie it. Three foot... (laughs) Drop to a creek bed, wheelie it. Basketball-sized boulders going uphill, fucking wheelie that shit.
1: Yeah, hey, that's what you should do.
2: With that said, the rear end of my reign is going to see some work. He's going to work the rear end. Wow. Oh, God. I ride mostly trails around the southern Montana, um, but I do plan on hitting up to bike parks more often and actually using some of that suspension. I decided it would be a good idea to pedal everywhere else. I enjoy longer cross-country rides, but for me, it's mostly about the downhills. Hence the search for a more lockable but still shreddable rear shock. The budget is tight, but who isn't? Um, Damn. I'm willing to save up.
1: He's just all about that. That's what she said tonight, isn't he?
2: Oh, yeah. The budget is tight, but who's isn't? Wow. Uh, however, Uh would be willing to save up and fork over fork over for some suspension. Get it? Uh, what is necessary for some quality parts? Um, what do you think, Kenny? You're Kimbo's
1: slice died. I just saw oh, it really? on Facebook.
2: Just, that sucks. We've got to stay, stay the course here. by the time Uh, this is aired that's old news and there will be someone else dead so move along so
3: my take is so I personally ride a Monarch RT3 Uh, it happens to be the high volume one but that doesn't much matter for the lockout and it's the one that comes factory on the aluminum jet 9 so that's the valving that it has and here I can walk over here and see uh, what valving it has I don't remember off the top of my head But anyway, it's got a kind of secret top position that some people don't really (laughs) realize is there necessarily. But it's got, like, a left and a right. It's got an open and, like, a pedal platform. And if you rotate it all the way up, unlike the Fox stuff, uh, where the lever is completely vertical, like, pointed up at you, that is locked out. And it's – I mean, it's still not a full lockout. It never will be because if you hit a bump, the thing will explode if it doesn't break down at some point. Uh, But anyway, it's damn near – fully locked. So this is a, it's got a low, low rebound to tune and an L3, which is low uh, compression tune. So, so even maybe... though it's all set low, it's actually, uh, it's actually fairly. And the one thing I noticed about this shock is in the open setting, it's very, very, very plush. And I really prefer, personally, I like those low tunes. Uh, I think they're fantastic for all-round use. Um, And then if you want to, you can just flip it up to the lockout and it's super, super stiff. But my pet peeve is when in the full open position, you can still feel a lot of uh, compression damping that bothers the hell out of me. So anyway, for what it's worth, Monarch RT3. Valving changes from year to year and it changes from shock to shock. And also what you buy from like if you go buy one from quality uh, or from some distributor it's going to be probably different than what Niner specs on their bike, because these are actually built to Niner specs. Uh, and I can't tell you what those are. I don't know. You could probably ask the right person and find out. Uh, RockShocks may have that on file. I don't really know. I know Fox does that. They have, like, a tune ID, and they can tell you, you know, what the nitrogen charge is and blah, 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 and all this other kind of crap. So, anyway, for what it's worth, I've been really happy with mine. Super plush when you want it to be. And then the lockout is pretty, pretty damn serious.
2: Yep, yeah, so it sounds to me like one of two things might be going on with Ben's shot, or one of three things. The first would be he doesn't understand because he's newer to mountain bike, like real mountain biking, that a lockout doesn't fully lock the bike out. That's number one possibility. Uh, number two would be the shock isn't set up properly, so the 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 what do you call that thing? The sag. He I mean,
3: could just have the sag completely off, or it could yep. have the rebound completely off even though the rebound doesn't really have anything to do with uh it shouldn't at least have really anything to do with your low speed compression damping
2: but regardless um and then the the third one is that maybe his shock is just blown
3: there could just be something wrong with it
2: yeah so if you if you air the shock up properly sagged in the open position and flip it over to close and there's not a noticeable change then your shock is blown um, if you do see a change but it's still not fully locked you're never going to get full lockout out of a bicycle shock. So those,
3: from what I remember, most of those RP 23s didn't have a terribly firm lockout.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the other. This is an RP two.
3: Oh yeah, that sounds super old. Then I don't think they made <laughs> the RP two for a long, long time. Because the RP two is just an open and like a pedal platform.
1: Maybe I think. he just missed pushing the three on that.
3: No, they made an old RP. They made okay. an RP2 and an RP3, and then they made an RP23. Oh, okay. So I think that's just really, really old. So if he can get back to us, let me know what year that is. That sounds like it's a, Oh, shit, is it? Damn. Yeah, maybe that's a weird OE-only thing. I don't know. I mean, they stopped making the RP23 in 2012 or 2013. So I don't know what the hell that is. No idea. <laughs> Um, But if you don't want to spend a lot of money, you can get Monarch. uh, Monarch RT3 is pretty cheap. And I've been happy with mine. It rebuilds just like a Fox does. Um, Yeah, I've been running mine for many, many thousands of miles. I just do my regular thousand-mile rebuilds, no issues, all good. Cool. Should
1: we move on?
2: Andrew T. from Arkansas. Hey, JRA Crew, short-time listener here, but I've been binge listening for the last three weeks and love your show. So here you go, Kenny. Here's your binge listener. I especially love what you guys have a connection to Arkansas and the amazing trails we have here. I keep waiting to run into Kenny at Iron Mountain. I'm an old man at the age of 46, and I've been riding since 1996. I was fucking eight. I started out on a fully rigid Trek 820, and now after several iterations on and loving a Santa Cruz Tallboy LTC. So enough about me. On to the questions. As you guys, dang it, the patriarchy strikes again. I have been, exp- I, uh, as you guys experience on the Arkansas trails, what's a good big volume tire you'd recommend for Iron Mountain and Vista Trail type terrain? I'm currently running Continental Mountain King 2.4s, and other than drinking the shit out of stands, I like them, but I'm open to suggestions. Ooh, um, Yeah.
3: Max's Ooh, my is suggestion Ardent. is get rid of those tires.
1: Yeah, like get a Maxis Ardent front tire, and then like one of their slightly faster rolling ones for a back tire, like the Ardent Race. Or a cross mark, or an icon, or something.
3: So I run a icon two point three five in the back and an Ardent two point four in the front, and it is like built for Arkansas. It's yeah. perfect.
1: Yeah, I mean, you need you Arkansas needs uh, sidewall protection. It's rocky there. Um, as far as bikes go, I don't know. I mean, I remember lots of people rode single speed in Arkansas, so. Yeah, that's a lot.
3: That's a lot of bike, but if you're comfortable on it, then more power to you. Yeah, the climbs in
1: Arkansas tend to be steep, like, there's not a lot of switchback there.
3: Yeah, they're, um, yeah, they tend to be pretty steep, maybe a little bit loose in places.
2: Yeah, (laughs) steep and loose. Um, all right, so. His second question is, one of the podcasts that I listen to, they're all running together at this point, Kenny mentioned he hates bamboo bikes. Dude, I want (laughs) to hear Kenny rant about bamboo bikes. So, uh, same deal as before, but Kenny, I want to put five minutes on the clock here. No,
1: we do not need Kenny to rant for five minutes.
3: Uh, Yeah, that's not a complicated one. Fuck, it's just a dumbass material to build a bike out of. It's one of those things, it's a designer bike. It's one of these things where just because you can doesn't mean you should sometimes. I think it's interesting that they exist, but I mean, why would you, it's like, why would you fucking do it? It just makes, it makes no sense to me. Because it's
1: lightweight and a cheap material, but the bikes cost more than any other bikes out there.
3: Exactly. They all tote all this crap, you know, but they're using all kinds of nasty ass adhesives and stuff to glue the things together. It's basically, it's just all marketing bullshit. And it's like artist type people who are fucking bored and have more time than any kind of engineering sense whatsoever. So that's my rant on that.
1: That was only like a minute.
3: Uh, yeah. that,
2: was, that was 40 seconds. I put three minutes on the clock <laughs> for you. Um, I don't even want to talk about bamboo bikes. I, I'm actually like angry now. So I'll, follow the, <laughs> I'll, I'll jump in here and, and help Kenny continue his rant. I would say the second thing is repeatability and consistency because it's a, a source material. It's not something – It's a plant. There's no quality control for it, so – You know, if if I just grabbed a steel pipe out of the ground and said, here's your down tube, you'd look at me and be like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, in no other industry or no other material of this industry is it okay to just grab some shit and say, okay, here's your down tube. And I know that some bamboo-loving motherfucker out there is going to email in all pissed off about, well, they do this and this and this and this. Yeah, well, guess what? Worms don't eat carbon fiber. (laughs) I don't think
1: worms eat bamboo either. You'd have to, like, worry about panda bears.
2: Well, I mean... fucking pandas jumping
1: out of the woods and eating your bike. Okay,
2: so carbon doesn't rot from the inside out. Like, there's all these things that can happen to bamboo that can't happen to carbon fiber. And, again, before you say, like, oh, you're just a naysayer. No. Like, they... Like, Reynolds 853 tubing is Reynolds 853 tubing every single time. You can't tell bamboo, build me 17 of this down tube. You just can't do it. So... That's just bullshit. Like, and I've heard this about two, um, uh, companies, um, two tie bike companies. You can order the same bike from them twice. Like if you wanted two cyclocross bikes and there's one company that will give you two bikes that you can't tell the difference in between. There's another company that'll give you two bikes with the same stickers on the down tube. So, and those are metal bikes. Yeah. So I think that that speaks. I guess what I'm saying is, even when we're using a material that is easy to replicate in, some companies can't even build you bikes that work the same every time. So.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. If you want a
3: custom bike, go buy a seven titanium and then wrap it in bamboo graphics.
2: <sighs> Be much better off and probably cheaper. Man. Let's keep going. That was exactly three minutes now. <laughs> um, so that was Russell from East. No, that was. Oh, God. That was Arkansas. That was dude. From, uh, that was Andrew from Arkansas. So Russell from East Tennessee. Hey, Jerry crew. New listener here. Been hooked on the show for about a, no- a month. Ugh. Been hooked on the show for about a month now and really love the content and entertainment that y'all provide. That's a his y'all, not a me y'all. Uh, I ride a 2013 Spark 930 stock that has X7, X9, 2x10 drivetrain with XT brakes. I'm, the issue I'm having is that my chain is consistently dropping off the large chain ring during any, any moderately bumpy descent. I'm always careful to not ride cross-chain, and I've had the front derailleur cable tightened without any luck. I've had one bike-shot mechanic install recommending... Wait. God, I'm just mush mouth, Recommend installing a clutch rear derailleur might do the trick. Perfect for preventing the chain from dropping off the large rainbows, wondering if that would make it any harder to upshift the front. Mm. I'm also considering switching to a one by setup, since I may be switching out a few parts anyways. Would there be any issues with switching from my current shrank components to 1x11 Shimano XT? I'm not looking to break the bank just for the sake of comparing to a one by setup, and I'm wondering what would be the best solution for my chain drop problem. Would really appreciate to hear your thoughts and feedback. Cheers, Russell from Eastern Tennessee.
1: Ooh, hey, ooh, can hey, I, I, I
2: can I answer this one? Yeah, yes. go ahead. <laughs> so let me preface this by saying
3: two x ten mountain SRAM is fucking terrible. It's so bad, and I have had this p- problem personally and on customer bikes, and that motherfucker will drop no matter what you do. If you <laughs> go down a bump downhill, it's like fuck them in the small ring now for no <laughs> apparent reason. So until just, you pedal. Don't worry about, like, trying to fix it, because there is no fixing it. I think the clutch derailleur, I never actually tried it, because in the days when this was an issue, clutch derailleurs did not exist.
1: I bet the clutch derailleur would make a difference. I
3: think it will help. I think it cannot hurt. So It'd if you be a hell of a lot
1: cheaper than going to one-by.
3: Yeah, but then if you're going to do that, you might as well get something that's 11 speed. Is he 2 by 10 or 2 by 11 or something?
2: 210.
3: Okay. So, if you're going to spend the money for a clutch derailleur, you may as well get something 11 speed. And if you're going to do something 11-speed, it can't be SRAM because that stuff only works with 1x. So that means you've got Shimano, and that means you'd have, like, 11-speed Shimano with a clutch in the back with a 2-speed SRAM in the front, which is, like, kind of silly. So uh, that's a tough call. I mean, I would say if you think you can get away with 1x11 as far as range goes, just get rid of the 2x stuff in the front because it's just going to be a huge
1: I don't know. I mean, I have a lot... I have a lot of customers that have two by ten that works. And yeah, it's called Shimano. It no, works. I mean they just have the they just have a, like any clutch derailleur seems to work better than the non clutch derailleur. Sure, sure, I agree. So, so I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think it. if if he's trying to like save some dollars and cents, like
3: I would just hate for him to throw money at a clutch derailleur that's ten speed. It's just that, that it's not that, that much money. It, and he'll it,
1: be it, able to sell it. You know, like he can just if he ever does upgrade, he can take that group off and sell it.
2: Here's the bigger problem. It's a 2013 bike. So it's a three-year-old bike. And if he goes one by 11, he's going to drop five or $700 on this bike. Yeah. Like that.
1: That's kind of also what I was thinking. Like,
2: So at what point do you say, okay, I have $700 hairs. And if I sell my bike, it's worth $1,500 hairs. So then what I would spend versus what I profit by selling it right now, I have 2200 What does that get me? And where does that put me in the real world? So, um, it's just hard for me to imagine spending that much money on an older bike. So,
1: I mean, twenty thirteen is not really <laughs> that.
2: Sram old. front derailleur solution. Buy a new bike. No, it's not that. <laughs> it's just that. I mean, so we had this. We have a, a tune up at work called a dial it. And we ran a ton of numbers and checked a bunch of stuff. And what it comes down to is, it's five hundred dollars labor, um, and that is overhauling every part on your full suspension mountain bike. So we overhaul your fork, your shock, we change every pivot bearing, we do everything to your bike. And with parts and everything, they usually come up over a grand because you need, like, if you need a dial, you probably need tires and bearings and like a drivetrain and cables and housing and brake pads, and it goes on and on and on and on. And it was like, you know, if your bike's two years old, you do a dial it. When your bike's four years old, you sell it. And, I mean, that's just... I mean, let's face it. Like
1: that's just not that's not feasible for some people. Like some people like buying, you know.
2: No, you, it totally is because if you're spending the money that you should be spending on your bicycle to keep it in full functioning working order, you're going to spend twelve hundred. I mean, those usually come up over they're at or over a thousand dollars. So that's like asking a customer right now to spend a thousand dollars. On a bike, and and also remember, we're a specialized dealer, and specialized stops supporting their own fucking brain shocks at some point. So at some point, you have to get out of an epic because they're going to stop supporting your shock in the future. So ooh ooh ooh! I know when you should get out of an epic. Always <laughs> Bef- before you get into an epic on the sales floor.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh man!
2: So. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, like, this dude's bike is three years old. His suspension is three years old. Like, it's hard to imagine spending that much money on the bike because his bike isn't in a bubble. He probably doesn't have brand-new pivot bearings, and he didn't overhaul his shock and fork last week. Kenny's bike
1: is over three years old, right?
2: Kenny's bike is owned by a bike shop mechanic. It doesn't count. Yeah, I mean, I do. Are your wheels three years old, Kenny?
3: I do take care of my shit. Um... I mean, my bike was built in 2012, uh, but basically nothing on it is that bike anymore. So it's a different frame. Yeah. It's a, it's a different fork. Yep. It's different wheels. I yep. mean, basically, I'm actually going to look at this bike. This will be hilarious. Yeah, I think we talked about this before. The seat uh, the post only, is one only of the most The only two original things. parts. Uh, well, I changed that. The only two things on this bike that are factory, and it's actually very impressive, is the rear shifter and the rear derailleur. They are original. And I might add that they work perfectly. And they have mm, 8,000 8, miles. But they say Shimano
1: I noticed that like 8-speed XTR stuff that comes in the shop still works.
3: Yeah. 10-speed <laughs> yeah. XTR with a clutch. Amazing. This was like the day the clutch came out is uh, pretty much when I bought that one. And I, I will say, actually, that was replaced, but it was like the first month in ownership. Uh, it was some first-run issue that they had. Uh, but, yeah. That's that's the only thing that's original. Everything else is changed. So I'd say my bike is probably on average one to two years old, depending on the parts you're talking about. The wheels are two years old. Uh, Brakes and crank and bar and stem and posts and all that stuff is more like one year old.
2: Right. I mean, if you think about any bike that's three to four years old, like you usually look at that bike and you're like, man. As a like write-up on this bike, it really needs everything. No, and that's true. If you really ride a
3: bike, just because it's old doesn't actually mean it's bad. But if you're riding, I'm going to say, if you're riding between one to 2,000 miles a year on your mountain bike, and you're even doing the preventative maintenance of at least every 1,000 miles or at least every year, doing your wiper seals, doing your pivots, you know, cleaning cleaning your pistons on your brakes, just that kind of usual normal mm-hmm. stuff. I would never – I wouldn't really be comfortable being on a bike no matter how nice it is, no matter how, how perfectly uh, maintained it is. Stuff starts kind of going south at like 5,000 miles, somewhere in that ballpark. It just goes south. Like it gets to the point where you can – some things you just can't fix.
1: Yeah, like rear derailleur start to be wobbly. It just
3: gets tired. Yeah, like the bushings in the rear derailleur get sloppy and it's – Funny things start happening again. The fork, the rear shock. Even if you're religious about it, naturally, yeah, the bushings in there. The bushings are going to get a little bit looser, and um, you know, I, I think about Lorene's bikes.
1: And, oh yeah, she puts some miles on her stuff,
3: and we maintain that. And she puts the money into the bikes to maintain them. But when her bikes approach that ten thousand mi- five to ten thousand mile mark, holy crap, they they get clapped out, and she does. Between five and ten thousand miles a year on on those bikes.
1: Doesn't it's, she have two of the same bike and she basically like one one she rides while the other one goes to the shop?
3: Yes. Yeah. She has a Niner Jet Nine and then a Pivot four twenty nine SL. Nice. So they're set up very similarly and they're similarly similar personality bikes, but they are a little bit different.
1: Yeah.
3: Uh and yes. Yeah, I mean I like
1: the four two nine a little better than the Jet Nine.
3: Um they're both great bikes. I mean yeah. they both They've both done extremely well. I mean, only mad, mad props to both of those. They've done uh, awesome. But you know, her older bike is just a little. You can just tell. It's tired. Everything's a little bit tired. You can just tell when you get on it. Like the brake levers. It's all XTR, but you know the brake levers have that little bit of play at the lever. You just can't get rid
2: of it. It's like it's not like the lever plays towards the bar. The lever plays up and down. Yeah, up and down. Yeah, I've
1: got like those little things. My XTR brakes that I got as a uh, they came on the Air9 RDO that I got in probably Nice. 2000
3: That was 12 or 13, right?
1: Yeah, around 12 or 13. It was like I basically got an Air9 the first run Air9 RDO like the special edition first run that came out. Oh, that there. was that
3: uh, that was the black and green one with XTR, right? it was
1: just I just got the all black one. Okay, I don't but know. But yeah, it was the the black it. one with XTR, all black with XTR and like a Sid uh world cup and like i mean it was like the the super awesome one and uh i got that one and those are the brakes that are now on my single speed and they're like the rear one i just can't it just doesn't feel right and it's like it, i had i like have to bleed it and it's still like it just doesn't really seem to hold the bleed and it feels like weirdly like pulsy when i've you know like brake hard on it and it just yeah, it's yeah
3: yeah I can't at even, at, even say exactly what's stuff. wrong
1: with it, but it's not. It doesn't feel new anymore. It doesn't feel like it's working all the way.
3: Yeah, even the nicest stuff. It just five thousand miles. It's it's tough for it to be perfect. It's so if you're if you're, your bike, <laughs> if you're picky about your bike, if you're picky about your bike, you probably want to think about getting out of it and getting to something else. Once you get that five to ten thousand mile mark, it just you just need to. It sucks, but if you're picky about your stuff and you want it to be right and you don't want to replace everything on the bike then you might just want to get another bike
2: yeah I mean mean, like yeah I mean most people don't want to do that and you know I read a really really good article um, that relates this to the car world there was a guy that I don't remember the name of the race series but you drive your car to a bunch of trap like a Like road courses around the uh, country and race them. And a dude wanted to do it in this one certain car. And he bought the car. And it was like 10 or 12 years old. And he said he spent like at retail, if he had had to pay someone, they spent like $7,000 changing every piece of shock hardware and shock bushing and shock mount and everything in this car to make it drive like the day it came off the assembly line and that it's been like seven years since that's passed and he gets in the car and the car doesn't drive the way that it did after he spent all that time and effort replacing every bushing in it. You know, it's, it's the same idea as like I drove Andrea's new Impreza last weekend or this past weekend and you know, a 2016 Impreza drives a hundred times better than my 2002 Focus. You know, and and the Impreza and the Focus, let's face it, they're they're pretty much the same base level car, which is like economy ish. You know, hatchback vehicle, good gas
1: mileage in a hatchback.
2: But you know, the the years of technology plus the newness just makes that car so much better. You know, and and my options would be to dump a ton of money into changing all the shock stuff on the focus or buying a new Fiesta. And like, that's the same thing that we're like asking this person to do right now. So we're not just being a dickhead and saying like, buy a new bike cause your shit sucks. But it's like more like, let's be reasonable here and think like, what's your 18 month goal for this bike? If, if your it- bike's
1: going to still be awesome with just a new rear derailleur, then go for it. Like if you're willing to drop, you know, a hundred bucks, To slap a new rear derailleur on there with a clutch and try it out, then go for it. But if you need to put that hundred bucks into your budget for a new bike, like sell that one and get a new bike, then you know think about that also. That's yeah, that that's yeah. Like like
3: right now, my Jet Nine rides 100% showroom mint. So if I had a rear derailleur problem, I would just replace my rear derailleur.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so if you take your bike to the shop and they're like, "Yeah, a new rear derailleur would be good," but you also need four hundred dollars worth of other stuff.
2: Right. So, all right. Well, I think we've beat this show to death. There's questions that we didn't get to, but again, that, that's kind of the we've equal, been on for like an hour
3: and a half, haven't we?
2: Uh, hour and twelve of of uh, uh okay listener stuff. Hour thirty five of us ranting and rambling around total. So, um.
1: Is there any new shit out there that we hate?
2: E-bikes. I went to the Eagle Outdoor Festival and Felt had their fucking E-fat bike there, and I saw someone riding it, and I just wanted to I just wanted to kick them in the fucking throat.
3: Okay, so I have a really positive e-bike story,
2: actually.
1: Okay, go for it. You
3: saw so, one catch on
2: fire. <laughs>
3: that's my dream, though. I want to see, again, I want to see, we talked about it before, I want a high horsepower fucking scary e-bike. And, like, you're all down in it and shit heats up and, like, something shorts out. It catches on fire. You got to, like, ditch the e-bike into the woods, catch the <laughs> woods on fire. Um, but anyway, that's not the story.
2: You're all down And, in
1: like, it. then the, the – what would you call, like – so forest fires usually get, like, weird names. Like, the, what would you call that, like, the Bosch fire of 2017?
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that's awesome. So this one I had to do some uh, – some tech support for a just local charity ride that rode on the green line. And I got done with all my stuff and the group had left maybe 10 or 15 minutes. No one else needed anything. So I brought my bike just in case I decided to hop on and kind of ride their little green line route and ran into a couple and they were both on e-bikes and they, and I talked to them about it because I was curious and they were so happy, like so happy to have these bikes because they both had issues where they just couldn't they couldn't ride like they used to. You know, they had knee issues or ankle issues. I don't remember all the details. But and they were riding these bikes perfectly responsibly and they're riding with the group and they wanted to ride with people. Um but they were able to do this ride where they wouldn't be able to on regular bikes. So, that was really positive. Like it was you know, I thought it was perfectly good. And if you didn't know that these were e-bikes, they did nothing out of the ordinary, so that's my like good. That's my good example of e-bikes.
2: I Kenny said something nice about e-bikes, and I don't even know how to feel anymore. <laughs> but that's that is the place truly where I think
3: they belong is when somebody it's such is a gray area. Yeah, it is, and it's that's why it's difficult, and that's why people want to talk about it, and it's because it's difficult. Because you always because have... Because they're that on a situation. trail
1: that's, that's dubbed no motorized vehicles. I but mean, here's the a...
3: deal. The, the, the easiest way to look at this is if somebody decides that this trail, let's say mostly off-road stuff, if somebody deems it no motorized vehicles, then I'm sorry, that fucking means e-bikes. No motorized vehicles means no motorized vehicles. But you it said the green matter. line, right? Uh, it was half green line, half road.
1: Okay. But they rode their e-bikes on the green line where it says no motorized vehicles. That's true. I don't know exactly how it states that.
3: That's a good question. I don't know. So uh, There's yes.
1: signs that have a picture of like a motorcycle and a line through it.
3: Um, so, yes, there's gray area. There's, there is absolute gray area. Well, I mean, without a doubt. But it's something that we're going to have to address at some point. But I in this some... case, it was a very good – it was a very positive thing. Forgetting legislation and blah, blah, blah. Taking it for what it was, you had people who wouldn't otherwise be out and about riding with a group of people on their bicycles, not doing anything rowdy, not making any noise. Like it, it, it was perfectly, it was perfectly fine. There was I had zero issue with anything. So that is probably the most positive thing that could probably ever happen with e-bikes. But unfortunately, there's all this negative shit that can happen. Like some guy. You know, ripping backwards up some trail on yeah. his e bike. Uh, so, uh, yeah.
1: Hey, that's anyway, what that guy it is, it that is. wants that rides moto that wants to do wheelies over everything. He should just get an <laughs> e bike.
3: Yeah, but anyway, I just wanted to share that because there's so much like negative press and people get so bitchy about e bikes that I thought that was really positive. And it just is what it is.
1: Yeah, we we probably shouldn't discuss all of the pros and cons right now.
3: No, 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 no. We've, we've covered that in other episodes. But anyway, just I noticed that over the weekend. And again, it is what it is. I I don't know what to think of it. I really I don't. I think some then, mis-
1: municipalities allow them on non-motorized trails if you have a handicapped, like the equivalent of like a hang tag.
2: Sure, sure.
1: So that's um, that's – You amazing. know, and
2: this is going to be – well, you know, and I would say that, okay, so here's where my gray area comes in on that. Like if the city of Memphis said that you can ride the green line on your e-bike if you're handicapped, but let's say I had a Yuba with an E-assist motor and I had 40 pounds or, or not 40, uh, 200 pounds of mulch coming home. Like <laughs> I'm still very, like I could responsibly ride at like eight miles an hour, just kind of like easy cruising on the green line to go from, like that, yeah, it's
1: hard to get people to be responsible.
2: But to go from that Lowe's on the Green Line, like it's – what is that? You know what I'm talking about, though. Like you can go from that Lowe's on the Green Line to one of those neighborhoods really easily with your mulch and your Yuba, but you're not handicapped, so you're technically breaking the wall. So, like, you know, that's where I think it's really easy to say that if you have a – and Jefferson County here in Colorado has done this. If you have a motor that gives you forward propulsion – Assistance, it's not allowed. And I unfortunately think that's where the line should be drawn.
3: So if I'm president, if you're 50 years old, you get 100 watts. Uh, <laughs> 60 is 200.
1: That's... 70 is 300.
3: 80 is 400. 90 is 500. No. Nope. Yes. Nope.
1: Yes. When I'm 100 years old, does that mean I can ride a dirt bike down the green line?
2: At 80, you get 1,000 watts and a fifth of booze a week. Like like if you're 80, just YOLO. YOLO. (laughs) And that's what we're going to end the episode on. 80 years old, 1,000 watts, fifth of Jack Daniels. YOLO.
0: Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to EC Pedals for sponsoring this episode. Reminder to head over to rideec.com slash radio. Get yourself $15 off a set of pedals. It's a good deal. Check it out. Remember also that if you like this and you appreciate them for sponsoring the episode, send them an email. Tell them you heard about their pedals on Mountain Bike Radio. Info at rideec.com. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the support. And it's great to have all the emails and feedback, keep it coming, and we'll keep producing the audio. Have a great day, and that'll do it for this episode of Just Riding Along.